Article 1982. When it becomes necessary to open a locked box or receptacle, the depository is presumed authorized to do so, if the key has been delivered to him. Or when the instructions of the depositor as regards the deposit cannot be executed without opening the box or receptacle. N. Article 1983. The thing deposited shall be returned with all its products, accessories and accessions. Should the deposit consist of money, the provisions relative to agents in Article 1896 shall be applied to the depository. 1770, Article 1984. The depository cannot demand that the depositor prove his ownership of the thing deposited. Nevertheless, should he discover that the thing has been stolen and who its true owner is, he must advise the latter of the deposit. If the owner, in spite of such information, does not claim it within the period of one month, the depository shall be relieved of all responsibility by returning the thing deposited to the depositor. If the depository has reasonable grounds to believe that the thing has not been lawfully acquired by the depositor, the former may return the same. 1771 A, Article 1985 When there are two or more depositors, if they are not solidary, and the thing admits of division, each one cannot demand more than his share. When there is solidarity or the thing does not admit of division, the provisions of Articles 1212 12 and 1214 shall govern. However, if there is a stipulation that the thing should be returned to one of the depositors, the depository shall return it only to the person designated. 1772 A, Article 1986 if the depositor should lose his capacity to contract after having made the deposit, the thing cannot be returned except to the persons who may have the administration of his property and rights. 1773, Article 1987 If at the time the deposit was made a place was designated for the return of the thing, the depository must take the thing deposited to such place. But the expenses for transportation shall be borne by the depositor. If no place has been designated for the return, it shall be made where the thing deposited may be, even if it should not be the same place where the deposit was made, provided that there was no malice on the part of the depository. 1774, Article 1988 The thing deposited must be returned to the depositor upon demand, even though a specified period or time for such return may have been fixed. This provision shall not apply when the thing is judicially attached while in the depositary's possession, or should he have been notified of the opposition of a third person to the return or the removal of a thing deposited. In these cases, the depository must immediately inform the depositor of the attachment or opposition. 1775, Article 1989 Unless the deposit is for a valuable consideration, the depository who may have justifiable reasons for not keeping the thing deposited may, even before the time designated, return it to the depositor. And if the latter should refuse to receive it, the depository may secure its consignation from the court. 1776 a, Article 1990 if the depository by force majeure or government order loses the thing and receives money or another thing in its place, he shall deliver the sum or other thing to the depositor. 1777 A, Article 1991 The depositor's heir who in good faith may have sold the thing which he did not know was deposited, shall only be bound to return the price he may have received or to assign his right of action against the buyer in case the price has not been paid him. 
1778, Section 3 Obligations of the Depositor Article 1992. If the deposit is gratuitous, the depositor is obliged to reimburse the depository for the expenses he may have incurred for the preservation of the thing deposited. 1779 Article 1993 The depositor shall reimburse the depository for any loss arising from the character of the thing deposited, unless at the time of the constitution of the deposit the former was not aware of, or was not expected to know the dangerous character of the thing, or unless he notified the depository of the same, or the latter was aware of it without advice from the depositor. N. Article 1994 the depositary may retain the thing in pledge until the full payment of what may be due him by reason of the deposit. 1780, Article 1995. A deposit is extinguished, 1. Upon the loss or destruction of the thing deposited. 2. In case of a gratuitous deposit, upon the death of either the depositor or the depositary. N. Chapter 3 Necessary Deposit Article 1996. A deposit is necessary, 1 when it is made in compliance with a legal obligation. 2. When it takes place on the occasion of any calamity, such as fire, storm, flood, pillage, shipwreck, or other similar events. 1781 Article 1997 The deposit referred to in number 1 of the preceding article shall be governed by the provisions of the law establishing it, and in case of its deficiency, by the rules on voluntary deposit. The deposit mentioned in number 2 of the preceding article shall be regulated by the provisions concerning voluntary deposit and by Article 2168. 1782, Article 1998. The deposit of effects made by travelers in hotels or inns shall also be regarded as necessary. The keepers of hotels or inns shall be responsible for them as depositaries, provided that notice was given to them, or to their employees of the effects brought by the guests and that, on the part of the latter, they take the precautions which said hotel keepers or their substitutes advised relative to the care and vigilance of their effects. 1783, Article 1999. The hotel keeper is liable for the vehicles, animals and articles which have been introduced or placed in the annexes of the hotel. N. Article 2000. The responsibility referred to in the two preceding articles shall include the loss of, or injury to the personal property of the guests caused by the servants or employees of the keepers of hotels or inns as well as strangers. But not that which may proceed from any force majeure. The fact that travelers are constrained to rely on the vigilance of the keeper of the hotels or inns shall be considered in determining the degree of care required of them. 1784 uh, Article 2001 the act of a thief or robber, who has entered the hotel is not deemed force majeure, unless it is done with the use of arms or through an irresistible force. N. Article 2002. The hotel keeper is not liable for compensation if the loss is due to the acts of the guest, his family, servants or visitors, or if the loss arises from the character of the things brought into the hotel. N. Article 2003. The hotel keeper cannot free himself from responsibility by posting notices to the effect that he is not liable for the articles brought by the guest. Any stipulation between the hotel keeper and the guest whereby the responsibility of the former is set forth in Articles 1998-2001 to is suppressed or diminished shall be void. N. Article 2004 
The hotel keeper has a right to retain the things brought into the hotel by the guest, as a security for credits on account of lodging, and supplies usually furnished to hotel guests. N. Chapter 4 Sequestration or Judicial Deposit Article 2005 A judicial deposit or sequestration takes place when an attachment or seizure of property in litigation is ordered. 1785, Article 2006 Movable as well as immovable property may be the object of sequestration. 1786, Article 2007 the depositary of property or objects sequestrated cannot be relieved of his responsibility until the controversy which gave rise thereto has come to an end, unless the court so orders. 1787 a, Article 2008 The depositary of property sequestrated is bound to comply, with respect to the same, with all the obligations of a good father of a family. 1788, Article 2009 as to matters not provided for in this code, judicial sequestration shall be governed by the rules of court. 1789 a, Title XIII Contracts General Provision Article 2010 By an aleatory contract, one of the parties or both reciprocally bind themselves to give or to do something in consideration of what the other shall give or do upon the happening of an event which is uncertain, or which is to occur at an indeterminate time. 1790 Chapter 1 Insurance Article 2011 The contract of insurance is governed by special laws. Matters not expressly provided for in such special laws shall be regulated by this code. N. Article 2012 Any person who is forbidden from receiving any donation under Article 739 cannot be named beneficiary of a life insurance policy by the person who cannot make any donation to him, according to said article. N. Chapter 2 Gambling Article 2013 A game of chance is that which depends more on chance or hazard than or skill or ability. For the purposes of the following articles, in case of doubt a game is deemed to be one of chance. N. Article 2014 No action can be maintained by the winner for the collection of what he has won in a game of chance. But any loser in a game of chance may recover his loss from the winner, with legal interest from the time he paid the amount lost, and subsidiarily from the operator or manager of the gambling house. 1799 a, Article 2015 If cheating or deceit is committed by the winner, he, and subsidiarily the operator or manager of the gambling house, shall pay by way of exemplary damages, not less than the equivalent of the sum lost, in addition to the latter amount. If both the winner and the loser have perpetrated fraud, no action for recovery can be brought by either. N. Article 2016 If the loser refuses or neglects to bring an action to recover what has been lost, his or her creditors, spouse, descendants or other persons entitled to be supported by the loser may institute the action. The sum thereby obtained shall be applied to the creditor's claims, or to the support of the spouse or relatives, as the case may be. N. Article 2017 The provisions of Article 2014 and 2016 apply when two or more persons bet in a game of chance, although they take no active part in the game itself. 1799 a, Article 2018 
If a contract which purports to be for the delivery of goods, securities or shares of stock is entered into with the intention that the difference between the price stipulated and the exchange or market price at the time of the pretended delivery shall be paid by the loser to the winner, the transaction is null and void. The loser may recover what he has paid. N. Article 2019 Betting on the result of sports, athletic competitions, or games of skill may be prohibited by local ordinances. N. Article 2020 The loser in any game which is not one of chance, when there is no local ordinance which prohibits betting therein, is under obligation to pay his loss, unless the amount thereof is excessive under the circumstances. In the latter case, the court shall reduce the loss to the proper sum. 1801 A. Chapter 3 Life Annuity Article 2021 the aleatory contract of life annuity binds the debtor to pay an annual pension or income during the life of one or more determinate persons in consideration of a capital consisting of money or other property, whose ownership is transferred to him at once with the burden of the income. 1802 A, Article 2022 The annuity may be constituted upon the life of the person who gives the capital, upon that of a third person or upon the lives of various persons, all of whom must be living at the time the annuity is established. It may also be constituted in favor of the person or persons upon whose life or lives the contract is entered into, or in favor of another or other persons. 1803 Article 2023 Life annuity shall be void if constituted upon the life of a person who was already dead at the time the contract was entered into, or who was at that time suffering from an illness which caused his death within 20 days following said date. 1804, Article 2024 The lack of payment of the income due does not authorize the recipient of the life annuity to demand the reimbursement of the capital or to retake possession of the property alienated, unless there is a stipulation to the contrary. He shall have only a right judicially to claim the payment of the income in arrears and to require a security for the future income, unless there is a stipulation to the contrary. 1805 A, Article 2025 The income corresponding to the year in which the person enjoying it dies shall be paid in proportion to the days during which he lived. If the income should be paid by installments in advance, the whole amount of the installment which began to run during his life shall be paid. 1806, Article 2026. He who constitutes an annuity by gratuitous title upon his property, may provide at the time the annuity is established that the same shall not be subject to execution or attachment on account of the obligations of the recipient of the annuity. If the annuity was constituted in fraud of creditors, the latter may ask for the execution or attachment of the property. 1807 Article 2027. No annuity shall be claimed without first proving the existence of the person upon whose life the annuity is constituted. 1808, Title XIV Compromises and Arbitrations Chapter 1 Compromises Article 2028 A compromise is a contract whereby the parties, by making reciprocal concessions, avoid a litigation or put an end to one already commenced. 1809 Article 2029 the court shall endeavor to persuade the litigants in a civil case to agree upon some fair compromise. N. Article 2030 Every civil action or proceeding shall be suspended, 1. If willingness to discuss a possible compromise is expressed by one or both parties. 
or 2, if it appears that one of the parties, before the commencement of the action or a proceeding, offered to discuss a possible compromise but the other party refused the offer. The duration and terms of the suspension of the civil action or a proceeding and similar matter shall be governed by such provisions of the rules of court as the Supreme Court shall promulgate. Said rules of court shall likewise provide for the appointment and duties of amicable compounders. N. Article 2031. The courts may mitigate the damages to be paid by the losing party who has shown a sincere desire for a compromise. N. Article 2032. The court's approval is necessary in compromises entered into by guardians, parents, absentees representatives, and administrators or executors of the sedents estates. 1810 Article 2033 Juridical persons may compromise only in the form and with the requisites which may be necessary to alienate their property. 1812 Article 2034 There may be a compromise upon the civil liability arising from an offense. But such compromise shall not extinguish the public action for the imposition of the legal penalty. 1813 Article 2035 no compromise upon the following questions shall be valid. 1. The civil status of persons. 2. The validity of a marriage or a legal separation. 3. Any ground for legal separation. 4. Future support. 5. The jurisdiction of courts. 6. Future legatime. 1814 uh, Article 2036. A compromise comprises only those objects which are definitely stated therein, or which by necessary implication from its terms should be deemed to have been included in the same. A general renunciation of rights is understood to refer only to those that are connected with the dispute which was the subject of the compromise. 1815, Article 2037. A compromise has upon the parties the effect and authority of res judicata. But there shall be no execution except in compliance with a judicial compromise. 1816, Article 2038. A compromise in which there is mistake, fraud, violence, intimidation, undue influence, or falsity of documents, is subject to the provisions of Article 1330 of this Code. However, one of parties cannot set up a mistake a fact is against the other if the latter, by virtue of the compromise, has withdrawn from a litigation already commenced. 1817 uh, Article 2039 When the parties compromise generally on all differences which they might have with each other, the discovery of documents referring to one or more but not to all of the questions settled shall not itself be a cause for annulment or rescission of the compromise, unless said documents have been concealed by one of the parties. But the compromise may be annulled or rescinded if it refers only to one thing to which one of the parties has no right, as shown by the newly discovered documents. N. Article 2040 if after litigation has been decided by a final judgment, a compromise should be agreed upon, either or both parties being unaware of the existence of the final judgment, the compromise may be rescinded. Ignorance of a judgment which may be revoked or set aside is not a valid ground for attacking a compromise. 1819 Article 2041 If one of the parties fails or refuses to abide by the compromise, the other party may either enforce the compromise or regard it as rescinded and insist upon his original demand. N. Chapter 2 Arbitrations Article 2042 
The same persons who may enter into a compromise may submit their controversies to one or more arbitrators for decision. 1820 Article 2043 The provisions of the preceding chapter upon compromises shall also be applicable to arbitrations. 1821 Article 2044 any stipulation that the arbitrator's award or decision shall be final, is valid, without prejudice to Articles 2038, 2039, and 2040. N. Article 2045. Any clause giving one of the parties power to choose more arbitrators than the other is void and of no effect. N. Article 2046. The appointment of arbitrators and the procedure for arbitration shall be governed by the provisions of such rules of court as the Supreme Court shall promulgate. N. Title X v Guarantee Chapter 1 Nature and Extent of Guarantee Article 2047 By guarantee a person, called the guarantor, binds himself to the creditor to fulfill the obligation of the principal debtor in case the latter should fail to do so. If a person binds himself solidarily with the principal debtor, the provisions of Section 4, Chapter 3, Title I of this book shall be observed. In such case the contract is called a suretyship. 1822 uh, Article 2048 A guarantee is gratuitous, unless there is a stipulation to the contrary. N. Article 2049 a married woman may guarantee an obligation without the husband's consent, but shall not thereby bind the conjugal partnership, except in cases provided by law. N. Article 2050. If a guarantee is entered into without the knowledge or consent, or against the will of the principal debtor, the provisions of Articles 1236 and 1237 shall apply. N. Article 2051. A guarantee may be conventional, legal or judicial, gratuitous or by onerous title. It may also be constituted, not only in favor of the principal debtor, but also in favor of the other guarantor, with the latter's consent, or without his knowledge, or even over his objection. 1823, Article 2052. A guarantee cannot exist without a valid obligation. Nevertheless, a guarantee may be constituted to guarantee the performance of a voidable or an unenforceable contract. It may also guarantee a natural obligation. 1824 uh, Article 2053 A guarantee may also be given as security for future debts, the amount of which is not yet known. There can be no claim against the guarantor until the debt is liquidated. A conditional obligation may also be secured. 1825 uh, Article 2054 A guarantor may bind himself for less, but not for more than the principal debtor, both as regards the amount and the onerous nature of the conditions. Should he have bound himself for more, his obligations shall be reduced to the limits of that of the debtor. 1826, Article 2055. A guarantee is not presumed. It must be express and cannot extend to more than what is stipulated therein. If it be simple or indefinite, it shall compromise not only the principal obligation, but also all its accessories, including the judicial costs, provided with respect to the latter, that the guarantor shall only be liable for those costs incurred after he has been judicially required to pay. 1827 uh, Article 2056 One who is obliged to furnish a guarantor shall present a person who possesses integrity, capacity to bind himself, and sufficient property to answer for the obligation which he guarantees. 
the guarantor shall be subject to the jurisdiction of the court of the place where this obligation is to be complied with. 1828 Article 2057 If the guarantor should be convicted in first instance of a crime involving dishonesty or should become insolvent, the creditor may demand another who has all the qualifications required in the preceding article. The case is accepted where the creditor has required and stipulated that a specified person should be the guarantor. 1829 Chapter 2 Effects of Guarantee Section 1 Effects of Guarantee Between the Guarantor and the Creditor Article 2058 The guarantor cannot be compelled to pay the creditor unless the latter has exhausted all the property of the debtor, and has resorted to all the legal remedies against the debtor. 1830 Article 2059 the excussion shall not take place, 1, if the guarantor has expressly renounced it, 2, if he has bound himself solidarily with the debtor, 3, in case of insolvency of the debtor, 4, when he has absconded, or cannot be sued within the Philippines unless he has left a manager or representative, 5, if it may be presumed that an execution on the property of the principal debtor would not result in the satisfaction of the obligation. 1831 uh, Article 2060 In order that the guarantor may make use of the benefit of exclusion, he must set it up against the creditor upon the latter's demand for payment from him, and point out to the creditor available property of the debtor within Philippine territory, sufficient to cover the amount of the debt. 1832 Article 2061 the guarantor having fulfilled all the conditions required in the preceding article, the creditor who is negligent in exhausting the property pointed out shall suffer the loss, to the extent of said property, for the insolvency of the debtor resulting from such negligence. 1833 Article 2062 In every action by the creditor, which must be against the principal debtor alone, except in the cases mentioned in Article 2059, the former shall ask the court to notify the guarantor of the action. The guarantor may appear so that he may, if he so desire, set up such defenses as are granted him by law. The benefit of excussion mentioned in Article 2058 shall always be unimpaired, even if judgment should be rendered against the principal debtor and the guarantor in case of appearance by the latter. 1834 Article 2063 a compromise between the creditor and the principal debtor benefits the guarantor but does not prejudice him. That which is entered into between the guarantor and the creditor benefits but does not prejudice the principal debtor. 1835 Article 2064 The guarantor of a guarantor shall enjoy the benefit of excussion, both with respect to the guarantor and to the principal debtor. 1836 Article 2065 should there be several guarantors of only one debtor and for the same debt, the obligation to answer for the same is divided among all. The creditor cannot claim from the guarantors except the shares which they are respectively bound to pay, unless solidarity has been expressly stipulated. The benefit of division against the co-guarantor ceases in the same cases and for the same reasons as the benefit of excussion against the principal debtor. 1837, Section 2 Effects of Guarantee Between the Debtor and the Guarantor Article 2066 The guarantor who pays for a debtor must be indemnified by the latter. The indemnity comprises, 1, the total amount of the debt. 2, the legal interests thereon from the time the payment was made known to the debtor, even though it did not earn interest for the creditor. 3, 
the expenses incurred by the guarantor after having notified the debtor that payment had been demanded of him. 4. Damages, if they are due. 1838 Article 2067 The guarantor who pays is subrogated by virtue thereof to all the rights which the creditor had against the debtor. If the guarantor has compromised with the creditor, he cannot demand of the debtor more than what he has really paid. 1839 Article 2068 If the guarantor should pay without notifying the debtor, the latter may enforce against him all the defenses which he could have set up against the creditor at the time the payment was made. 1840 Article 2069 If the debt was for a period and the guarantor paid it before it became due, he cannot demand reimbursement of the debtor until the expiration of the period unless the payment has been ratified by the debtor. 1841 a, Article 2070 If the guarantor has paid without notifying the debtor, and the latter not being aware of the payment, repeats the payment, the former has no remedy whatever against the debtor, but only against the creditor. Nevertheless, in case of a gratuitous guarantee, if the guarantor was prevented by a fortuitous event from advising the debtor of the payment, and the creditor becomes insolvent, the debtor shall reimburse the guarantor for the amount paid. 1842 Article 2071 The guarantor, even before having paid, may proceed against the principal debtor, 1. When he is sued for the payment. 2. In case of insolvency of the principal debtor. 3. When the debtor has bound himself to relieve him from the guarantee within a specified period, and this period has expired. 4. When the debt has become demandable, by reason of the expiration of the period for payment. 5. After the lapse of 10 years, when the principal obligation has no fixed period for its maturity, unless it be of such nature that it cannot be extinguished except within a period longer than 10 years. 6. If there are reasonable grounds to fear that the principal debtor intends to abscond. 7. If the principal debtor is in imminent danger of becoming insolvent. In all these cases, the action of the guarantor is to obtain release from the guarantee, or to demand a security that shall protect him from any proceedings by the creditor and from the danger of insolvency of the debtor. 1834 uh, Article 2072 If one, at the request of another, becomes a guarantor for the debt of a third person who is not present, the guarantor who satisfies the debt may sue either the person so requesting or the debtor for reimbursement. N. Section 3. Effects of guarantee is between co-guarantors Article 2073. When there are two or more guarantors of the same debtor and for the same debt, the one among them who has paid may demand of each of the others the share which is proportionally owing from him. If any of the guarantors should be insolvent, his share shall be borne by the others, including the payer, in the same proportion. The provisions of this article shall not be applicable, unless the payment has been made by virtue of a judicial demand or unless the principal debtor is insolvent. 1844 uh, Article 2074 In the case of the preceding article, the co-guarantors may set up against the one who paid, the same defenses which would have pertained to the principal debtor against the creditor, and which are not purely personal to the debtor. 1845 Article 2075 a sub-guarantor, in case of the insolvency of the guarantor for whom he bound himself, is responsible to the co-guarantors in the same terms as the guarantor. 1846, Chapter 3 Extinguishment of Guarantee Article 2076 
the obligation of the guarantor is extinguished at the same time as that of the debtor, and for the same causes as all other obligations. 1847, Article 2077. If the creditor voluntarily accepts immovable or other property in payment of the debt, even if he should afterwards lose the same through eviction, the guarantor is released. 1849, Article 2078. A release made by the creditor in favor of one of the guarantors, without the consent of the others, benefits all to the extent of the share of the guarantor to whom it has been granted. 1850, Article 2079. An extension granted to the debtor by the creditor without the consent of the guarantor extinguishes the guarantee. The mere failure on the part of the creditor to demand payment after the debt has become due does not of itself constitute any extension of time referred to herein. 1851 a, Article 2080. The guarantors, even though they be solidary, are released from their obligation whenever by some act of the creditor they cannot be subrogated to the rights, mortgages, and preference of the latter. 1852, Article 2081. The guarantor may set up against the creditor all the defenses which pertain to the principal debtor and are inherent in the debt. But not those that are personal to the debtor. 1853, Chapter 4 Legal and Judicial Bonds Article 2082 The bondsman who is to be offered in virtue of a provision of law or of a judicial order shall have the qualifications prescribed in Article 2056 and in special laws. 1854 uh, Article 2083 If the person bound to give a bond in the cases of the preceding article, should not be able to do so. A pledge or mortgage considered sufficient to cover his obligations shall be admitted in lieu thereof. 1855, Article 2084. A judicial bondsman cannot demand the exhaustion of the property of the principal debtor. A subsurety in the same case, cannot demand the exhaustion of the property of the debtor or of the surety. Title XVI Pledge, Mortgage and Antichrisis Chapter 1 Provisions Common to Pledge and Mortgage Article 2085 The following requisites are essential to the contracts of pledge and mortgage. 1. That they be constituted to secure the fulfillment of a principal obligation. 2. That the pledgeor or mortgager be the absolute owner of the thing pledged or mortgaged. 3. That the persons constituting the pledge or mortgage have the free disposal of their property, and in the absence thereof, that they be legally authorized for the purpose. Third persons who are not parties to the principal obligation may secure the latter by pledging or mortgaging their own property. 1857, Article 2086. The provisions of Article 2052 are applicable to a pledge or mortgage. N. Article 2087. It is also of the essence of these contracts that when the principal obligation becomes due, the things in which the pledge or mortgage consists may be alienated for the payment to the creditor. 1858, Article 2088. The creditor cannot appropriate the things given by way of pledge or mortgage, or dispose of them. Any stipulation to the contrary is null and void. 1859, Article 2089. A pledge or mortgage is indivisible, even though the debt may be divided among the successors in interest of the debtor or of the creditor. Therefore, the debtor's heir who has paid a part of the debt cannot ask for the proportionate extinguishment of the pledge or mortgage as long as the debt is not completely satisfied. Neither can the creditor's heir who received his share of the debt return the pledge or cancel the mortgage, to the prejudice of the other heirs who have not been paid. 
from these provisions is accepted the case in which, there being several things given in mortgage or pledge, each one of them guarantees only a determinate portion of the credit. The debtor, in this case, shall have a right to the extinguishment of the pledge or mortgage as the portion of the debt for which each thing is specially answerable is satisfied. 1860, Article 2090. The indivisibility of a pledge or mortgage is not affected by the fact that the debtors are not solidarily liable. N. Article 2091. The contract of pledge or mortgage may secure all kinds of obligations, be they pure or subject to a suspensive or resolutory condition. 1861, Article 2092. A promise to constitute a pledge or mortgage gives rise only to a personal action between the contracting parties, without prejudice to the criminal responsibility incurred by him who defrauds another, by offering in pledge or mortgage as unencumbered, things which he knew were subject to some burden, or by misrepresenting himself to be the owner of the same. 1862, Chapter 2 Pledge Article 2093. In addition to the requisites prescribed in Article 2085, it is necessary, in order to constitute the contract of pledge, that the thing pledged be placed in the possession of the creditor, or of a third person by common agreement. 1863, Article 2094. All movables which are within commerce may be pledged, provided they are susceptible of possession. 1864, Article 2095. Incorporeal rights, evidenced by negotiable instruments, bills of lading, shares of stock, bonds, warehouse receipts and similar documents may also be pledged. The instrument proving the right pledged shall be delivered to the creditor, and if negotiable, must be endorsed. N. Article 2096. A pledge shall not take effect against third persons if a description of the thing pledged and the date of the pledge do not appear in a public instrument. 1865 a, Article 2097. With the consent of the pledgee, the thing pledged may be alienated by the pledgeor or owner, subject to the pledge. The ownership of the thing pledged is transmitted to the vendee or transferee as soon as the pledgee consents to the alienation, but the latter shall continue in possession. N. Article 2098. The contract of pledge gives a right to the creditor to retain the thing in his possession or in that of a third person to whom it has been delivered, until the debt is paid. 1866 Article 2099. The creditor shall take care of the thing pledged with the diligence of a good father of a family. He has a right to the reimbursement of the expenses made for its preservation, and is liable for its loss or deterioration, in conformity with the provisions of this code. 1867 Article 2100. The pledgee cannot deposit the thing pledged with a third person, unless there is a stipulation authorizing him to do so. The pledgee is responsible for the acts of his agents or employees with respect to the thing pledged. N. Article 2101. The pledgeor has the same responsibility as a bailer in commoditum in the case under Article 1951. N. Article 2102. If the pledge earns or produces fruits, income, dividends, or interests, the creditor shall compensate what he receives with those which are owing him. But if none are owing him, or insofar as the amount may exceed that which is due, he shall apply it to the principal. Unless there is a stipulation to the contrary, the pledge shall extend to the interest and earnings of the right pledged. In case of a pledge of animals, their offspring shall pertain to the pledge or owner of animals pledged, but shall be subject to the pledge, 
if there is no stipulation to the contrary. 1868 uh, Article 2103 Unless the thing pledged is expropriated, the debtor continues to be the owner thereof. Nevertheless, the creditor may bring the actions which pertain to the owner of the thing pledged in order to recover it from, or defend it against a third person. 1869 Article 2104 The creditor cannot use the thing pledged, without the authority of the owner, and if he should do so, or should misuse the thing in any other way, the owner may ask that it be judicially or extrajudicially deposited. When the preservation of the thing pledged requires its use, it must be used by the creditor but only for that purpose. 1870 uh, Article 2105 the debtor cannot ask for the return of the thing pledged against the will of the creditor, unless and until he has paid the debt and its interest, with expenses in a proper case. 1871, Article 2106 If through the negligence or willful act of the pledgee, the thing pledged is in danger of being lost or impaired, the pledgeor may require that it be deposited with the third person. N. Article 2107 if there are reasonable grounds to fear the destruction or impairment of the thing pledged, without the fault of the pledgee, the pledgeor may demand the return of the thing, upon offering another thing in pledge, provided the latter is of the same kind as the former and not of inferior quality, and without prejudice to the right of the pledgee under the provisions of the following article. The pledgee is bound to advise the pledgeor, without delay, of any danger to the thing pledged. N. Article 2108 if, without the fault of the pledgee, there is danger of destruction, impairment, or diminution in value of the thing pledged, he may cause the same to be sold at a public sale. The proceeds of the auction shall be a security for the principal obligation in the same manner as the thing originally pledged. N. Article 2109 If the creditor is deceived on the substance or quality of the thing pledged, he may either claim another thing in its stead, or demand immediate payment of the principal obligation. N. Article 2110 If the thing pledged is returned by the pledgee to the pledgeor or owner, the pledge is extinguished. Any stipulation to the contrary shall be void. If subsequent to the perfection of the pledge, the thing is in the possession of the pledgeor or owner, there is a prima facie presumption that the same has been returned by the pledgee. This same presumption exists if the thing pledged is in the possession of a third person who has received it from the pledgeor or owner after the constitution of the pledge. N. Article 2111 A statement in writing by the pledgee that he renounces or abandons the pledge is sufficient to extinguish the pledge. For this purpose, neither the acceptance by the pledgeor or owner, nor the return of the thing pledged is necessary, the pledgee becoming a depositary. N. Article 2112 The creditor to whom the credit has not been satisfied in due time, may proceed before a notary public to the sale of the thing pledged. This sale shall be made at a public auction, and with notification to the debtor and the owner of the thing pledged in a proper case, stating the amount for which the public sale is to be held. If at the first auction the thing is not sold, a second one with the same formalities shall be held. And if at the second auction there is no sale either, the creditor may appropriate the thing pledged. In this case he shall be obliged to give an acquittance for his entire claim. 1872 Article 2113 At the public auction, the pledgeor or owner may bid. He shall, moreover, have a better right if he should offer the same terms as the highest bidder. The pledgee may also bid, 
but his offer shall not be valid if he is the only bidder. N. Article 2114. All bids at the public auction shall offer to pay the purchase price at once. If any other bid is accepted, the pledge is deemed to have been received the purchase price, as far as the pledge or owner is concerned. N. Article 2115. The sale of the thing pledged shall extinguish the principal obligation, whether or not the proceeds of the sale are equal to the amount of the principal obligation, interest and expenses in a proper case. If the price of the sale is more than said amount, the debtor shall not be entitled to the excess, unless it is otherwise agreed. If the price of the sale is less, neither shall the creditor be entitled to recover the deficiency, notwithstanding any stipulation to the contrary. N. Article 2116. After the public auction, the pledgee shall promptly advise the pledger or owner of the result thereof. N. Article 2117. Any third person who has any right in order to the thing pledged may satisfy the principal obligation as soon as the latter becomes due and demandable. N. Article 2118. If a credit which has been pledged becomes due before it is redeemed, the pledgee may collect and receive the amount due. He shall apply the same to the payment of his claim, and deliver the surplus, should there be any, to the pledgeor. N. Article 2119. If two or more things are pledged, the pledgee may choose which he will cause to be sold, unless there is a stipulation to the contrary. He may demand the sale of only as many of the things as are necessary for the payment of the debt. N. Article 2120. If a third party secures an obligation by pledging his own movable property under the provisions of Article 2085 he shall have the same rights as a guarantor under Articles 2066 to 2070, and Articles 2077 to 2081. He is not prejudiced by any waiver of defense by the principal obligor. N. Article 2121. Pledges created by operation of law, such as those referred to in Articles 546, 1731, and 1994, are governed by the foregoing Articles on the possession, care and sale of the thing as well as on the termination of the pledge. However, after payment of the debt and expenses, the remainder of the price of the sale shall be delivered to the obligor. N. Article 2122. A thing under a pledge by operation of law may be sold only after demand of the amount for which the thing is retained. The public auction shall take place within one month after such demand. If, without just grounds, the creditor does not cause the public sale to be held within such period, the debtor may require the return of the thing. N. Article 2123. With regard to pawn shops and other establishments, which are engaged in making loans secured by pledges, the special laws and regulations concerning them shall be observed, and subsidiarily, the provisions of this title. 1873 A, Chapter 3 Mortgage Article 2124 Only the following property may be the object of a contract of mortgage. 1. Immovables 2. Alienable real rights in accordance with the laws, imposed upon immovables. Nevertheless, movables may be the object of a chattel mortgage. 1874 a, Article 2125. In addition to the requisites stated in Article 2085, it is indispensable, in order that a mortgage may be validly constituted, that the document in which it appears be recorded in the registry of property. If the instrument is not recorded, the mortgage is nevertheless binding between the parties. 
the persons in whose favor the law establishes a mortgage have no other right than to demand the execution and the recording of the document in which the mortgage is formalized. 1875 Article 2126 The mortgage directly and immediately subjects the property upon which it is imposed, whoever the possessor may be, to the fulfillment of the obligation for whose security it was constituted. 1876 Article 2127 the mortgage extends to the natural accessions, to the improvements, growing fruits, and the rents or income not yet received when the obligation becomes due, and to the amount of the indemnity granted or owing to the proprietor from the insurers of the property mortgaged, or in virtue of expropriation for public use, with the declarations, amplifications and limitations established by law, whether the estate remains in the possession of the mortgager, or it passes into the hands of a third person. 1877, Article 2128. The mortgage credit may be alienated or assigned to a third person, in whole or in part, with the formalities required by law. 1878, Article 2129. The creditor may claim from a third person in possession of the mortgaged property, the payment of the part of the credit secured by the property which said third person possesses, in the terms and with the formalities which the law establishes. 1879, Article 2130. A stipulation forbidding the owner from alienating the immovable mortgage shall be void. N. Article 2131. The form, extent and consequences of a mortgage, both as to its constitution, modification and extinguishment, and as to other matters not included in this chapter, shall be governed by the provisions of the mortgage law and of the land registration law. 1880 a, Chapter 4 Antichrisis Article 2132 By the contract of Antichrisis the creditor acquires the right to receive the fruits of an immovable of his debtor, with the obligation to apply them to the payment of the interest, if owing, and thereafter to the principal of his credit. 1881 Article 2133 the actual market value of the fruits at the time of the application thereof to the interest and principal shall be the measure of such application. N. Article 2134. The amount of the principal and of the interest shall be specified in writing. Otherwise, the contract of antichresis shall be void. N. Article 2135. The creditor, unless there is a stipulation to the contrary, is obliged to pay the taxes and charges upon the estate. He is also bound to bear the expenses necessary for its preservation and repair. The sum spent for the purposes stated in this article shall be deducted from the fruits. 1882, Article 2136. The debtor cannot reacquire the enjoyment of the immovable without first having totally paid what he owes the creditor. But the latter, in order to exempt himself from the obligations imposed upon him by the preceding article, may always compel the debtor to enter again upon the enjoyment of the property, except when there is a stipulation to the contrary. 1883, Article 2137. The creditor does not acquire the ownership of the real estate for non-payment of a debt within the period agreed upon. Every stipulation to the contrary shall be void. But the creditor may petition the court for the payment of the debt or the sale of the real property. In this case, the rules of court on the foreclosure of mortgages shall apply. 1884, Article 2138. The contracting parties may stipulate that the interest upon the debt be compensated with the fruits of the property which is the object of the antichresis, 
provided that if the value of the fruits should exceed the amount of interest allowed by the laws against usury, the excess shall be applied to the principal. 1885 Article 2139 The last paragraph of Article 2085, and Articles 2089 to 2091 are applicable to this contract. 1886 Chapter 5 Chattel Mortgage Article 2140 By a chattel mortgage, personal property is recorded in the chattel mortgage register as a security for the performance of an obligation. If the movable, instead of being recorded, is delivered to the creditor or a third person, the contract is a pledge and not a chattel mortgage. N. Article 2141 the provisions of this code on pledge, insofar as they are not in conflict with the chattel mortgage law shall be applicable to chattel mortgages. N. Title XVI Extra Contractual Obligations Chapter 1 Quasi-Contracts Article 2142 Certain lawful, voluntary and unilateral acts give rise to the juridical relation of quasi-contract to the end that no one shall be unjustly enriched or benefited at the expense of another. N. Article 2143 the provisions for quasi-contracts in this chapter do not exclude other quasi-contracts which may come within the purview of the preceding article. N. Section 1 Negotiorum Gestio Article 2144 Whoever voluntarily takes charge of the agency or management of the business or property of another, without any power from the latter, is obliged to continue the same until the termination of the affair and its incidents, or to require the person concerned to substitute him, if the owner is in a position to do so. This juridical relation does not arise in either of these instances, 1. When the property or business is not neglected or abandoned. Two if in fact the manager has been tacitly authorized by the owner. In the first case, the provisions of Articles 1317, 1403, No. 1, and 1404 regarding unauthorized contracts shall govern. In the second case, the rules on agency in Title 10 of this book shall be applicable. 1888 Article 2145 The officious manager shall perform his duties with all the diligence of a good father of a family, and pay the damages which through his fault or negligence may be suffered by the owner of the property or business under management. The courts may, however, increase or moderate the indemnity according to the circumstances of each case. 1889 Article 2146 If the officious manager delegates to another personnel or some of his duties, he shall be liable for the acts of the delegate, without prejudice to the direct obligation of the latter toward the owner of the business. The responsibility of two or more officious managers shall be solidary, unless the management was assumed to save the thing or business from imminent danger. 1890 Article 2147 The officious manager shall be liable for any fortuitous event, 1. If he undertakes risky operations which the owner was not accustomed to embark upon. 2. If he has preferred his own interest to that of the owner. 3. If he fails to return the property or business after demand by the owner. 4. If he assumed the management in bad faith. 1891 Article 2148 Except when the management was assumed to save property or business from imminent danger, the officious manager shall be liable for fortuitous events. 1. If he is manifestly unfit to carry on the management. 2. If by his intervention he prevented a more competent person from taking up the management. N. Article 2149. 
the ratification of the management by the owner of the business produces the effects of an express agency, even if the business may not have been successful. 1892 Article 2150 Although the officious management may not have been expressly ratified, the owner of the property or business who enjoys the advantages of the same shall be liable for obligations incurred in his interest, and shall reimburse the officious manager for the necessary and useful expenses and for the damages which the latter may have suffered in the performance of his duties. The same obligation shall be incumbent upon him when the management had for its purpose the prevention of an imminent and manifest loss, although no benefit may have been derived. 1893, Article 2151. Even though the owner did not derive any benefit and there has been no imminent and manifest danger to the property or business, the owner is liable as under the first paragraph of the preceding article, provided, 1. The officious manager has acted in good faith, and 2. The property or business is intact, ready to be returned to the owner. N. Article 2152. The officious manager is personally liable for contracts which he has entered into with third persons, even though he acted in the name of the owner, and there shall be no right of action between the owner and third persons. These provisions shall not apply. 1. If the owner has expressly or tacitly ratified the management, or 2. When the contract refers to things pertaining to the owner of the business. N. Article 2153. The management is extinguished. 1. When the owner repudiates it or puts an end thereto. 2. When the officious manager withdraws from the management, subject to the provisions of Article 2144. 3. By the death, civil interdiction, insanity or insolvency of the owner or the officious manager. N. Section 2 Salutio Indebiti Article 2154. If something is received when there is no right to demand it, and it was unduly delivered through mistake, the obligation to return it arises. 1895, Article 2155. Payment by reason of a mistake in the construction or application of a doubtful or difficult question of law may come within the scope of the preceding article. N. Article 2156. If the payer was in doubt whether the debt was due, he may recover if he proves that it was not due. N. Article 2157. The responsibility of two or more payees, when there has been payment of what is not due, is solidary. N. Article 2158. When the property delivered or money paid belongs to a third person, the payee shall comply with the provisions of Article 1984. N. Article 2159. Whoever in bad faith accepts an undue payment, shall pay legal interest if a sum of money is involved, or shall be liable for fruits received or which should have been received if the thing produces fruits. He shall furthermore be answerable for any loss or impairment of the thing from any cause, and for damages to the person who delivered the thing, until it is recovered. 1896 Article 2160 he who in good faith accepts an undue payment of a thing certain and determinate shall only be responsible for the impairment or loss of the same or its accessories and accessions insofar as he has thereby been benefited. If he has alienated it, he shall return the price or assign the action to collect the sum. 1897, Article 2161. As regards the reimbursement for improvements and expenses incurred by him who unduly received the thing, the provisions of Title V of Book II shall govern. 1898, Article 2162. 
he shall be exempt from the obligation to restore who, believing in good faith that the payment was being made of a legitimate and subsisting claim, destroyed the document, or allowed the action to prescribe, or gave up the pledges, or cancelled the guarantees for his right. He who paid unduly may proceed only against the true debtor or the guarantors with regard to whom the action is still effective. 1899, Article 2163. It is presumed that there was a mistake in the payment if something which had never been due or had already been paid was delivered. But he from whom the return is claimed may prove that the delivery was made out of liberality or for any other just cause. 1901. Section 3 Other Quasi-Contracts Article 2164 When, without the knowledge of the person obliged to give support, it is given by a stranger, the latter shall have a right to claim the same from the former, unless it appears that he gave it out of piety and without intention of being repaid. 1894 uh, Article 2165 When funeral expenses are borne by a third person, Without the knowledge of those relatives who were obliged to give support to the deceased, said relatives shall reimburse the third person, should the latter claim reimbursement. 1894 uh, Article 2166 When the person obliged to support an orphan, or an insane or other indigent person unjustly refuses to give support to the latter, any third person may furnish support to the needy individual, with right of reimbursement from the person obliged to give support. The provisions of this article apply when the father or mother of a child under 18 years of age unjustly refuses to support him. Article 2167 When through an accident or other cause a person is injured or becomes seriously ill, and he is treated or helped while he is not in a condition to give consent to a contract, he shall be liable to pay for the services of the physician or other person aiding him, unless the service has been rendered out of pure generosity. Article 2168. When during a fire, flood, storm, or other calamity, property is saved from destruction by another person without the knowledge of the owner, the latter is bound to pay the former just compensation. Article 2169. When the government, upon the failure of any person to comply with health or safety regulations concerning property, undertakes to do the necessary work, even over his objection, he shall be liable to pay the expenses. Article 2170. When by accident or other fortuitous event, movables separately pertaining to two or more persons are commingled or confused, the rules on co-ownership shall be applicable. Article 2171. The rights and obligations of the finder of lost personal property shall be governed by Articles 719 and 720. Article 2172. The right of every possessor in good faith to reimbursement for necessary and useful expenses is governed by Article 546. Article 2173. When a third person, without the knowledge of the debtor, pays the debt, the rights of the former are governed by Articles 1236 and 1237. Article 2174. When in a small community a majority of the inhabitants of age decide upon a measure for protection against lawlessness, fire, flood, storm or other calamity, anyone who objects to the plan and refuses to contribute to the expenses but is benefited by the project as executed shall be liable to pay his share of said expenses. Article 2175. Any person who is constrained to pay the taxes of another shall be entitled to reimbursement from the latter. Chapter 2 Quasi Delicts Article 2176. 
whoever by act or omission causes damage to another, there being fault or negligence, is obliged to pay for the damage done. Such fault or negligence, if there is no pre-existing contractual relation between the parties, is called a quasi-delict and is governed by the provisions of this chapter. 1902 Article 2177 Responsibility for fault or negligence under the preceding article is entirely separate and distinct from the civil liability arising from negligence under the penal code. But the plaintiff cannot recover damages twice for the same act or omission of the defendant. N. Article 2178 The provisions of Articles 1172 to 1174 are also applicable to a quasi-delict. N. Article 2179 when the plaintiff's own negligence was the immediate and proximate cause of his injury, he cannot recover damages. But if his negligence was only contributory, the immediate and proximate cause of the injury being the defendant's lack of due care, the plaintiff may recover damages, but the courts shall mitigate the damages to be awarded. N. Article 2180 the obligation imposed by Article 2176 is demandable not only for one's own acts or omissions, but also for those of persons for whom one is responsible. The father and, in case of his death or incapacity, the mother, are responsible for the damages caused by the minor children who live in their company. Guardians are liable for damages caused by the minors or incapacitated persons who are under their authority and live in their company. The owners and managers of an establishment or enterprise are likewise responsible for damages caused by their employees in the service of the branches in which the latter are employed or on the occasion of their functions. Employers shall be liable for the damages caused by their employees and household helpers acting within the scope of their assigned tasks, even though the former are not engaged in any business or industry. The state is responsible in like manner when it acts through a special agent but not when the damage has been caused by the official to whom the task done properly pertains, in which case what is provided in Article 2176 shall be applicable. Lastly, teachers or heads of establishments of arts and trades shall be liable for damages caused by their pupils and students or apprentices, so long as they remain in their custody. The responsibility treated in this article shall cease when the persons herein mentioned prove that they observed all the diligence of a good father of a family to prevent damage. 1903 uh, Article 2181 Whoever pays for the damage caused by his dependents or employees may recover from the latter what he has paid or delivered in satisfaction of the claim. 1904 Article 2182 if the minor or insane person causing damage has no parents or guardian, the minor or insane person shall be answerable with his own property in an action against him where a guardian ad litem shall be appointed. N. Article 2183 The possessor of an animal or whoever may make use of the same is responsible for the damage which it may cause, although it may escape or be lost. This responsibility shall cease only in case the damage should come from force majeure or from the fault of the person who has suffered damage. 1905, Article 2184 In motor vehicle mishaps, the owner is solidarily liable with his driver, if the former, who is in the vehicle, could have, by the use of the due diligence, prevented the misfortune. It is disputably presumed that a driver was negligent, if he had been found guilty of reckless driving or violating traffic regulations at least twice within the next preceding two months. 
if the owner was not in the motor vehicle, the provisions of Article 2180 are applicable. N. Article 2185. Unless there is proof to the contrary, it is presumed that a person driving a motor vehicle has been negligent if at the time of the mishap, he was violating any traffic regulation. N. Article 2186. Every owner of a motor vehicle shall file with the proper government office a bond executed by a government-controlled corporation or office, to answer for damages to third persons. The amount of the bond and other terms shall be fixed by the competent public official. N. Article 2187. Manufacturers and processors of foodstuffs, drinks, toilet articles and similar goods shall be liable for death or injuries caused by any noxious or harmful substances used, although no contractual relation exists between them and the consumers. N. Article 2188. There is prima facie presumption of negligence on the part of the defendant if the death or injury results from his possession of dangerous weapons or substances, such as firearms and poison, except when the possession or use thereof is indispensable in his occupation or business. N. Article 2189. Provinces, cities and municipalities shall be liable for damages for the death of, or injuries suffered by, any person by reason of the defective condition of roads streets, bridges, public buildings, and other public works under their control or supervision. N. Article 2190. The proprietor of a building or structure is responsible for the damages resulting from its total or partial collapse, if it should be due to the lack of necessary repairs. 1907. Article 2191. Proprietor shall also be responsible for damages caused. 1 by the explosion of machinery which has not been taken care of with due diligence, and the inflammation of explosive substances which have not been kept in a safe and adequate place. 2. By excessive smoke, which may be harmful to persons or property. 3. By the falling of trees situated at or near highways or lanes, if not caused by force majeure. 4. By emanations from tubes, canals, sewers or deposits of infectious matter, constructed without precautions suitable to the place. 1908, Article 2192. If damage referred to in the two preceding articles should be the result of any defect in the construction mentioned in Article 1723, the third person suffering damages may proceed only against the engineer or architect or contractor in accordance with said article, within the period therein fixed. 1909, Article 2193. The head of a family that lives in a building or a part thereof, is responsible for damages caused by things thrown or falling from the same. 1910, Article 2194. The responsibility of two or more persons who are liable for quasi-delict is solidary. N. Title XVII Damages 1 Chapter 1 General Provisions Article 2195. The provisions of this title shall be respectively applicable to all obligations mentioned in Article 1157. Article 2196. The rules under this title are without prejudice to special provisions on damages formulated elsewhere in this code. Compensation for workmen and other employees in case of death, injury or illness is regulated by special laws. Rules governing damages laid down in other laws shall be observed insofar as they are not in conflict with this code. Article 2197. Damages may be, 1. Actual or compensatory. 2. Moral. 3. Nominal. 
4. Temperate or moderate. 5. Liquidated. Or 6. Exemplary or corrective. Article 2198. The principles of the general law on damages are hereby adopted insofar as they are not inconsistent with this code. Chapter 2 Actual or Compensatory Damages Article 2199 Except as provided by law or by stipulation, one is entitled to an adequate compensation only for such pecuniary loss suffered by him as he has duly proved. Such compensation is referred to as actual or compensatory damages. Article 2200 Indemnification for damages shall comprehend not only the value of the loss suffered, but also that of the profits which the obligee failed to obtain. 1106, Article 2201. In contracts and quasi-contracts, the damages for which the obligor who acted in good faith is liable shall be those that are the natural and probable consequences of the breach of the obligation, and which the parties have foreseen or could have reasonably foreseen at the time the obligation was constituted. In case of fraud, bad faith, malice or wanton attitude, the obligor shall be responsible for all damages which may be reasonably attributed to the non-performance of the obligation. 1107 Article 2202 In crimes and quasi-delicts, the defendant shall be liable for all damages which are the natural and probable consequences of the act or omission complained of. It is not necessary that such damages have been foreseen or could have reasonably been foreseen by the defendant. Article 2203 The party suffering loss or injury must exercise the diligence of a good father of a family to minimize the damages resulting from the act or omission in question. Article 2204 In crimes, the damages to be adjudicated may be respectively increased or lessened according to the aggravating or mitigating circumstances. Article 2205. Damages may be recovered, 1. For loss or impairment of earning capacity in cases of temporary or permanent personal injury. 2. For injury to the plaintiff's business standing or commercial credit. Article 2206. The amount of damages for death caused by a crime or quasi-delict shall be at least 3,000 pesos, even though there may have been mitigating circumstances. In addition, 1. The defendant shall be liable for the loss of the earning capacity of the deceased, and the indemnity shall be paid to the heirs of the latter. Such indemnity shall in every case be assessed and awarded by the court, unless the deceased on account of permanent physical disability not caused by the defendant, had no earning capacity at the time of his death. 2. If the deceased was obliged to give support according to the provisions of Article 291, the recipient who is not an heir called to the decedent's inheritance by the law of testate or intestate succession, may demand support from the person causing the death, for a period not exceeding five years, the exact duration to be fixed by the court. 3. The spouse, legitimate and illegitimate descendants and ascendants of the deceased may demand moral damages for mental anguish by reason of the death of the deceased. Article 2207 If the plaintiff's property has been insured, and he has received indemnity from the insurance company for the injury or loss arising out of the wrong or breach of contract complained of, the insurance company shall be subrogated to the rights of the insured against the wrongdoer or the person who has violated the contract. If the amount paid by the insurance company does not fully cover the injury or loss, the aggrieved party shall be entitled to recover the deficiency from the person causing the loss or injury. Article 2208 
in the absence of stipulation, attorneys' fees and expenses of litigation, other than judicial costs, cannot be recovered, except, 1. When exemplary damages are awarded. 2. When the defendant's act or omission has compelled the plaintiff to litigate with third persons or to incur expenses to protect his interest. 3. In criminal cases of malicious prosecution against the plaintiff. 4. In case of a clearly unfounded civil action or a proceeding against the plaintiff. 5. Where the defendant acted in gross and evident bad faith in refusing to satisfy the plaintiff's plainly valid, just and demandable claim. 6. In actions for legal support. 7. In actions for the recovery of wages of household helpers, laborers and skilled workers. 8. In actions for indemnity under workmen's compensation and employers' liability laws. 9. In a separate civil action to recover civil liability arising from a crime. 10. When at least double judicial costs are awarded. 11. In any other case where the court deems it just and equitable that attorneys' fees and expenses of litigation should be recovered. In all cases, the attorneys' fees and expenses of litigation must be reasonable. Article 2209. If the obligation consists in the payment of a sum of money, and the debtor incurs in delay, the indemnity for damages, there being no stipulation to the contrary, shall be the payment of the interest agreed upon, and in the absence of stipulation, the legal interest, which is 6% per annum. 1108. Article 2210. Interest may, in the discretion of the court, be allowed upon damages awarded for breach of contract. Article 2211. In crimes and quasi-delicts, interest as a part of the damages may, in a proper case, be adjudicated in the discretion of the court. Article 2212. Interest due shall earn legal interest from the time it is judicially demanded, although the obligation may be silent upon this point. 1109 Article 2213. Interest cannot be recovered upon unliquidated claims or damages, except when the demand can be established with reasonable certainty. Article 2214. In quasi-delicts, the contributory negligence of the plaintiff shall reduce the damages that he may recover. Article 2215. In contracts, quasi-contracts, and quasi-delicts, the court may equitably mitigate the damages under circumstances other than the case referred to in the preceding article, as in the following instances, 1. That the plaintiff himself has contraven the terms of the contract. 2. That the plaintiff has derived some benefit as a result of the contract. 3. In cases where exemplary damages are to be awarded, that the defendant acted upon the advice of counsel. 4. That the loss would have resulted in any event. 5. That since the filing of the action, the defendant has done his best to lessen the plaintiff's loss or injury. Chapter 3 Other Kinds of Damages Article 2216 No proof of pecuniary loss is necessary in order that moral, nominal, temperate, liquidated or exemplary damages, may be adjudicated. The assessment of such damages, except liquidated ones, is left to the discretion of the court, according to the circumstances of each case. Section 1 Moral Damages Article 2217 Moral damages include physical suffering, mental anguish, fright, serious anxiety, besmirched reputation, wounded feelings, moral shock, social humiliation, and similar injury. 
Though incapable of pecuniary computation, moral damages may be recovered if they are the proximate result of the defendant's wrongful act for omission. Article 2218 In the adjudication of moral damages, the sentimental value of property, real or personal, may be considered. Article 2219 Moral damages may be recovered in the following and analogous cases, 1. A criminal offense resulting in physical injuries. 2. Quasi-delicts causing physical injuries. 3. Seduction, abduction, rape, or other lascivious acts. 4. Adultery or concubinage. 5. Illegal or arbitrary detention or arrest. 6. Illegal search. 7. Libel, slander or any other form of defamation. 8. Malicious prosecution. 9. Acts mentioned in Article 309. 10. Acts and actions referred to in Articles 21, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 32, 34, and 35. The parents of the female seduced, abducted, raped, or abused, referred to in Number 3 of this article, may also recover moral damages. The spouse, descendants, ascendants, and brothers and sisters may bring the action mentioned in number 9 of this article, in the order named. Article 2220. Willful injury to property may be a legal ground for awarding moral damages if the court should find that, under the circumstances, such damages are justly due. The same rule applies to breaches of contract where the defendant acted fraudulently or in bad faith. Section 2 Nominal Damages Article 2221. Nominal damages are adjudicated in order that a right of the plaintiff, which has been violated or invaded by the defendant, may be vindicated or recognized, and not for the purpose of indemnifying the plaintiff for any loss suffered by him. Article 2222. The court may award nominal damages in every obligation arising from any source enumerated in Article 1157, or in every case where any property right has been invaded. Article 2223. The adjudication of nominal damages shall preclude further contest upon the right involved and all accessory questions, as between the parties to the suit, or their respective heirs and assigns. Section 3 Temperate or Moderate Damages Article 2224 Temperate or moderate damages, which are more than nominal but less than compensatory damages, may be recovered when the court finds that some pecuniary loss has been suffered but its amount cannot, from the nature of the case, be provided with certainty. Article 2225. Temperate damages must be reasonable under the circumstances. Section 4 Liquidated Damages Article 2226. Liquidated damages are those agreed upon by the parties to a contract, to be paid in case of breach thereof. Article 2227. Liquidated damages, whether intended as an indemnity or a penalty, shall be equitably reduced if they are iniquitous or unconscionable. Article 2228. When the breach of the contract committed by the defendant is not the one contemplated by the parties in agreeing upon the liquidated damages, the law shall determine the measure of damages, and not the stipulation. Section 5 Exemplary or Corrective Damages Article 2229 Exemplary or corrective damages are imposed, by way of example or correction for the public good, in addition to the moral, temperate, liquidated or compensatory damages. Article 2230 in criminal offenses, 
Exemplary damages as a part of the civil liability may be imposed when the crime was committed with one or more aggravating circumstances. Such damages are separate and distinct from fines and shall be paid to the offended party. Article 2231. In quasi delicts, exemplary damages may be granted if the defendant acted with gross negligence. Article 2232. In contracts and quasi-contracts, the court may award exemplary damages if the defendant acted in a wanton, fraudulent, reckless, oppressive, or malevolent manner. Article 2233. Exemplary damages cannot be recovered as a matter of right. The court will decide whether or not they should be adjudicated. Article 2234. While the amount of the exemplary damages need not be proved, the plaintiff must show that he is entitled to moral, temperate or compensatory damages before the court may consider the question of whether or not exemplary damages should be awarded. In case liquidated damages have been agreed upon, although no proof of loss is necessary in order that such liquidated damages may be recovered, nevertheless, before the court may consider the question of granting exemplary in addition to the liquidated damages, the plaintiff must show that he would be entitled to moral, temperate or compensatory damages were it not for the stipulation for liquidated damages. Article 2235. A stipulation whereby exemplary damages are renounced in advance shall be null and void. Title XII Concurrence and Preference of Credit Chapter 1 General Provisions Article 2236 The debtor is liable with all his property, present and future, for the fulfillment of his obligations, subject to the exemptions provided by law. 1911A Article 2237 Insolvency shall be governed by special laws insofar as they are not inconsistent with this code. N. Article 2238. So long as the conjugal partnership or absolute community subsists, its property shall not be among the assets to be taken possession of by the assignee for the payment of the insolvent debtor's obligations, except insofar as the latter have redounded to the benefit of the family. If it is the husband who is insolvent, the administration of the conjugal partnership or absolute community may, by order of the court, be transferred to the wife or to a third person other than the assignee. N. Article 2239. If there is property, other than that mentioned in the preceding article, owned by two or more persons, one of whom is the insolvent debtor, his undivided share or interest therein shall be among the assets to be taken possession of by the assignee for the payment of the insolvent debtor's obligations. N. Article 2240. Property held by the insolvent debtor as a trustee of an express or implied trust, shall be excluded from the insolvency proceedings. N. Chapter 2 Classification of Credits Article 2241. With reference to specific movable property of the debtor, the following claims or liens shall be preferred. 1. Duties, taxes and fees due thereon to the state or any subdivision thereof. 2. Claims arising from misappropriation, breach of trust, or malfeasance by public officials committed in the performance of their duties, on the movables, money or securities obtained by them. 3. Claims for the unpaid price of movables sold, on said movables, so long as they are in the possession of the debtor, up to the value of the same. And if the movable has been resold by the debtor and the price is still unpaid, the lien may be enforced on the price. This right is not lost by the immobilization of the thing by destination, provided it has not lost its form, substance and identity.
Neither is the right lost by the sale of the thing together with other property for a lump sum, when the price thereof can be determined proportionally. 4. Credits guaranteed with a pledge so long as the things pledged are in the hands of the creditor, or those guaranteed by a chattel mortgage, upon the things pledged or mortgaged, up to the value thereof. 5. Credits for the making, repair, safekeeping or preservation of personal property, on the movable thus made, repaired, kept or possessed. 6. Claims for laborers wages, on the goods manufactured or the work done. 7. For expenses of salvage, upon the goods salvaged. 8. Credits between the landlord and the tenant, arising from the contract of tenancy on shares, on the share of each in the fruits or harvest. 9. Credits for transportation, upon the goods carried, for the price of the contract and incidental expenses, until their delivery and for 30 days thereafter. 10. Credits for lodging and supplies usually furnished to travelers by hotel keepers, on the movables belonging to the guest as long as such movables are in the hotel, but not for money loaned to the guests. 11. Credits for seeds and expenses for cultivation and harvest advanced to the debtor, upon the fruits harvested. 12. Credits for rent for one year, upon the personal property of the lessee existing on the immovable lease and on the fruits of the same, but not on money or instruments of credit. 13. Claims in favor of the depositor if the depository has wrongfully sold the thing deposited, upon the price of the sale. In the foregoing cases, if the movables to which the lien or preference attaches have been wrongfully taken, the creditor may demand them from any possessor, within 30 days from the unlawful seizure. 1922 uh, Article 2242 With reference to specific immovable property and real rights of the debtor, the following claims, mortgages and liens shall be preferred, and shall constitute an encumbrance on the immovable or real right. 1. Taxes due upon the land or building. 2. For the unpaid price of real property sold, upon the immovable sold. 3. Claims of laborers, messons, mechanics and other workmen, as well as of architects, engineers and contractors, engaged in the construction, reconstruction or repair of buildings, canals or other works, upon said buildings, canals or other works. 4. Claims of furnishers of materials used in the construction, reconstruction, or repair of buildings, canals or other works, upon said buildings, canals or other works. 5. Mortgage credits recorded in the registry of property, upon the real estate mortgaged. 6. Expenses for the preservation or improvement of real property when the law authorizes reimbursement, upon the immovable preserved or improved. 7. Credits annotated in the registry of property, in virtue of a judicial order, by attachments or executions, upon the property affected, and only as to later credits. 8. Claims of co-heirs for warranty in the partition of an immovable among them, upon the real property thus divided. 9. Claims of donors or real property for pecuniary charges or other conditions imposed upon the donee, upon the immovable donated. 10. Credits of insurers, upon the property insured, for the insurance premium for two years. 1923 uh, Article 2243 the claims or credits enumerated in the two preceding articles shall be considered as mortgages or pledges of real or personal property, or liens within the purview of legal provisions governing insolvency. Taxes mentioned in Number 1, Article 2241, and Number 1, Article 2242, 
shall first be satisfied. N. Article 2244. With reference to other property, real and personal, of the debtor, the following claims or credits shall be preferred in the order named, 1. Proper funeral expenses for the debtor, or children under his or her parental authority who have no property of their own, when approved by the court. 2. Credits for services rendered the insolvent by employees, laborers, or household helpers for one year preceding the commencement of the proceedings in insolvency. 3. Expenses during the last illness of the debtor or of his or her spouse and children under his or her parental authority, if they have no property of their own. 4. Compensation due the laborers or their dependents under laws providing for indemnity for damages in cases of labor accident, or illness resulting from the nature of the employment. 5. Credits and advancements made to the debtor for support of himself or herself, and family, during the last year preceding the insolvency. 6. Support during the insolvency proceedings, and for three months thereafter. 7. Fines and civil indemnification arising from a criminal offense. 8. Legal expenses, and expenses incurred in the administration of the insolvency state for the common interest of the creditors, when properly authorized and approved by the court. 9. Taxes and assessments due the national government, other than those mentioned in Articles 2241, number 1, and 2242, number 1. 10. Taxes and assessments due any province, other than those referred to in Articles 2241, number 1, and 2242, number 1. 11. Taxes and assessments due any city or municipality, other than those indicated in Articles 2241, number 1, and 2242, number 1. 12. Damages for death or personal injuries caused by a quasi-delict. 13. Gifts due to public and private institutions of charity or beneficence. 14. Credits which, without special privilege, appear in a public instrument. Or b. In a final judgment, if they have been the subject of litigation. These credits shall have preference among themselves in the order of priority of the dates of the instruments and of the judgments, respectively. 1924 Article 2245 Credits of any other kind or class, or by any other right or title not comprised in the four preceding articles, shall enjoy no preference. 1925, Chapter 3 Order of Preference of Credits Article 2246 Those credits which enjoy preference with respect to specific movables, exclude all others to the extent of the value of the personal property to which the preference refers. Article 2247 if there are two or more credits with respect to the same specific movable property, they shall be satisfied pro rata, after the payment of duties, taxes and fees due the state or any subdivision thereof. 1926 Article 2248 Those credits which enjoy preference in relation to specific real property or real rights, exclude all others to the extent of the value of the immovable or real right to which the preference refers. Article 2249 if there are two or more credits with respect to the same specific real property or real rights, they shall be satisfied pro rata, after the payment of the taxes and assessments upon the immovable property or real right. 1927 a, Article 2250 The excess, if any, after the payment of the credits which enjoy preference with respect to specific property, real or personal, shall be added to the free property which the debtor may have, for the payment of the other credits. 
1928 uh, Article 2251. Those credits which do not enjoy any preference with respect to specific property, and those which enjoy preference, as to the amount not paid, shall be satisfied according to the following rules, 1, in the order established in Article 2244. 2. Common credits referred to in Article 2245 shall be paid pro rata regardless of dates. 1929 uh, Transitional Provisions Article 2252 Changes made in new provisions and rules laid down by this code which may prejudice or impair vested or acquired rights in accordance with the old legislation shall have no retroactive effect. For the determination of the applicable law in cases which are not specified elsewhere in this code, the following articles shall be observed, Parts 1 and 2, Transitional Provisions. Article 2253. The Civil Code of 1889 and other previous laws shall govern rights originating, under said laws, from acts done or events which took place under their regime, even though this code may regulate them in a different manner, or may not recognize them. But if a right should be declared for the first time in this code, it shall be effective at once, even though the act or event which gives rise thereto may have been done or may have occurred under prior legislation, provided said new right does not prejudice or impair any vested or acquired right, of the same origin. Rule 1, Article 2254. No vested or acquired right can arise from acts or omissions which are against the law or which infringe upon the rights of others n article 2255 the former laws shall regulate acts and contracts with a condition or a period which were executed or entered into before the effectivity of this code even though the condition or a period may still be pending at the time this body of laws goes into effect n article 2256 acts and contracts under the regime of the old laws if they are valid in accordance therewith, shall continue to be fully operative as provided in the same, with the limitations established in these rules. But the revocation or modification of these acts and contracts after the beginning of the effectivity of this code, shall be subject to the provisions of this new body of laws. Rule 2 uh, Article 2257 provisions of this code which attach a civil sanction or a penalty or a deprivation of rights to acts or omissions which were not penalized by the former laws, are not applicable to those who, when said laws were in force, may have executed the act or incurred in the omission forbidden or condemned by this code. If the fault is also punished by the previous legislation, the less severe sanction shall be applied. If a continuous or repeated act or omission was commenced before the beginning of the effectivity of this code, and the same subsists or is maintained or repeated after this body of laws has become operative, the sanction or penalty prescribed in this code shall be applied, even though the previous laws may not have provided any sanction or penalty therefore. Rule 3 Article 2258 Actions and rights which came into being but were not exercised before the effectivity of this code, shall remain in full force in conformity with the old legislation. But their exercise, duration and the procedure to enforce them shall be regulated by this code and by the rules of court. If the exercise of the right or of the action was commenced under the old laws, but is pending on the date this code takes effect, and the procedure was different from that established in this new body of laws, the parties concerned may choose which method or course to pursue. Rule 4, Article 2259 
the capacity of a married woman to execute acts and contracts is governed by this code, even if her marriage was celebrated under the former laws. N. Article 2260. The voluntary recognition of a natural child shall take place according to this code, even if the child was born before the effectivity of this body of laws. N. Article 2261. The exemption prescribed in Article 302 shall also be applicable to any support, pension or a gratuity already existing or granted before this code becomes effective. N. Article 2262. Guardians of the property of minors, appointed by the courts before this code goes into effect, shall continue to act as such, notwithstanding the provisions of Article 320. N. Article 2263. Rights to the inheritance of a person who died, with or without a will, before the effectivity of this code, shall be governed by the Civil Code of 1889, by other previous laws, and by the rules of court. The inheritance of those who, with or without a will, die after the beginning of the effectivity of this code, shall be adjudicated and distributed in accordance with this new body of laws and by the rules of court. But the testamentary provisions shall be carried out insofar as they may be permitted by this code. Therefore, legatimes, betterments, legacies and bequests shall be respected. However, their amount shall be reduced if in no other manner can every compulsory heir be given his full share according to this code. Rule 12 of Article 2264 the status and rights of natural children by legal fiction referred to in Article 89 and illegitimate children mentioned in Article 287, shall also be acquired by children born before the effectivity of this code. N. Article 2265. The right of retention of real or personal property arising after this code becomes effective, includes those things which came into the creditor's possession before said date. N. Article 2266. The following shall have not only prospective but also retroactive effect. 1. Article 315, whereby a descendant cannot be compelled, in a criminal case, to testify against his parents and ascendants. 2. Articles 101 and 88, providing against collusion in cases of legal separation and annulment of marriage. 3. Articles 283, 284, and 289, concerning the proof of illegitimate filiation. 4. Article 838, authorizing the probate of a will on petition of the testator himself. 5. Articles 1359-1369, relative to the reformation of instruments. 6. Articles 476-481, regulating actions to quiet title. 7. Articles 2029-2031, which are designed to promote compromises. N. Article 2267. The following provisions shall apply not only to future cases but also to those pending on the date this code becomes effective. 1. Article 29, relative to criminal prosecutions wherein the accused is acquitted on the ground that his guilt has not been proved beyond reasonable doubt. 2. Article 33, concerning cases of defamation, fraud, and physical injuries. N. Article 2268. Suits between members of the same family which are pending at the time this code goes into effect shall be suspended, under such terms as the court may determine, in order that compromise may be earnestly sought, or, in case of legal separation proceedings, for the purpose of effecting, if possible, 
a reconciliation. N. Article 2269. The principles upon which the preceding transitional provisions are based shall, by analogy, be applied to cases not specifically regulated by them. Rule 13 A. Repealing Clause Article 2270. The following laws and regulations are hereby repealed. 1. Those parts and provisions of the Civil Code of 1889 which are in force on the date when this new Civil Code becomes effective. 2. The provisions of the Code of Commerce governing sales, partnership, agency, loan, deposit and guarantee. 3. The provisions of the Code of Civil Procedure on prescription as far as inconsistent with this Code. And 4. All laws, acts, parts of acts, rules of court, executive orders, and administrative regulations which are inconsistent with this Code. N. Approved, June 18, 1949. Many thanks for viewing. Please subscribe or leave a like and comment if you have enjoyed this episode and would like to help support this vlog. Thanks again, and next time, I will see you. See you in our next review.